Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello and welcome to Friday. I'm Holly Fry. I'm Tracy B. Wilson. Uh, Today's casual Friday feels extra casual because we're talking about a game. Yep, we are. Have you played much croquet? So I did not grow up playing any croquet. I don't think I had ever played any croquet until uh, I had not moved to Massachusetts yet, but I had started visiting here and hanging out with people who have been playing croquet their whole lives. (laughs) Uh, And there is just a lot of, especially in good weather, um, casual croquet playing. A bunch of us go on a vacation Um, every September where we all rent a house together and hang out and there is a literal croquet tournament. Um, Sometimes there's some house rules or whatever, but it's like a pretty standard croquet tournament. We have also had weird variations on croquet. Like one year the vacation was Harry Potter themed and so we had wizard's croquet as a thing to play. Um, Some of the group are very competitive about this, but for others of us, it is more about standing around and talking with a cocktail in our hand. Yeah, I um when I was a kid one Christmas we got a croquet set as a gift. And I don't think we ever like really got the hang of it or played by the rules. I'm a lot younger than my siblings, so I think I wanted them to play with me, and they were like, eh, you're a kid. Um, And so then it was kind of like my brother would smack a ball at me and be like, that's croquet. And so it was never like a thing for me. Um, And now as I'm older, I don't tend to enjoy competitive things with my friends. Uh It's just not fun. But I was trying to come up with a way we could invent a game called Cocktail Croquet (laughs) that maybe involves like getting through a wicket and you get some sort of drink associated with that wicket. I don't know. It's still in its its infant stages. Yeah. <laughs> this game I'm making up in my head. If I could add a Star Wars theme to it, I think I'd really be onto it. Yeah, I have a feeling that the reason that we did not have a croquet set at, I, at our house that I know about growing up, it's entirely possible my parents had one stashed in the attic or something because we had other outdoor games. We were encouraged to play outside. But I think it was my brother and I would have tried to hit each other with mallets and throw balls at each other and generally cause each other harm. Is <laughs> what I think would have happened. Yeah, that's often how games play out when you're a kid. Yeah, uh, especially if there are rules that seem like homework, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're more likely to default to just uh, injury. You mentioned in the episode uh, that you had come across an article discussing how croquet had spread to other cultures in other parts of the world. And I actually had had come across one that I ha- was trying to fit in here for a while, and it quickly became a much different thing, and I was like, this is not the place for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thankfully, now we have these Friday episodes where I can kind of mention it, which is that um, there was a, a particular military action that was going on on England's part at the border of India, there is a lot of complex politics there, which is not great. But one of the things that gets mentioned in some of the accounts that were written by the the English military members were that they saw Sikhs playing croquet all the time mm-hmm. because they had picked it up and loved it as a game. But as I said, like to contextualize it and why they were all there together yeah. got very complex and made it about military actions and really... Um, 
crappy behavior on the part of England at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was a little off the tone of the much lighter lawn game fun I had in mind. Yeah. And we also, we talked a little bit about it, about uh, women, like it it being a game that women were allowed to play. And, and that was also a thing that was criticized in the 19th century sometimes. Like there were people that were like, it is unseemly for these women to be playing this game. They should not be doing that. And that has sort of morphed into, as croquet has been introduced into other parts of the world, um, it becoming a game that has given women more freedom to play it than they have maybe had in other contexts, which is all really interesting. Um, If you just want to look at all kinds of paintings of women in bustle gowns (laughs) playing croquet, there are so many croquet games, very um, very popular art topic in the 19th century. Uh, absolutely. It's also interesting to me that uh, in a lot of the the accounts that I was looking at, there is almost, particularly in the, the casual, friendly croquet that a lot of people were playing, there's almost this subtle hinting that it was kind of a game where you could go and flirt. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, so it's one of the few, because it was one of the few sports where men and women would be out there competing or playing on a team together, it offered opportunities to mingle in ways that were not really common yes, uh, and readily available, which is uh, adds a sort of cute dimension to it. Yeah, folks who visit our website have noticed it does not look the same at all. Uh, it has totally moved to a new format. Um, and so it doesn't have artwork on it, but we're still getting artwork for episodes in case that happens in the future. So I went like on a hunt for some pictures uh, of croquet. I found all of these wonderful pictures, like wonderful paintings of um, women, many of them in, in bustle gowns playing croquet. But then there were also some that were on a spectrum between suggestive and nude that are like uh, titillating postcards of croquet games being played in various states of undress or in suggestive poses. So it definitely has that aspect also. Listen, I'm not here to judge. However you want to yeah, play is fine. Whatever. If you're happy, if you're having fun in your bustle gown or in nothing at all, go you. <laughs> croquet, maybe this this actual spring I will make an effort to set up a little mini croquet on my lawn, make my husband and friends play it with me. Yeah. I still have to figure out a, a some sort of cocktail or Star Wars theme to make it appealing, though. That seems fun to me. To a wider herd. Yeah. Yeah. So our second episode this week was on King Philip's War. Yes. Um, which had come up briefly in the episode on Paul Cuffey. It was also something that while I was at the New Bedford Whaling Museum, because I was so interested in Paul Cuffey, I wanted to go see their exhibition on him. Uh, there was also a thing that was about King Philip's War, and it jogged my memory of having, in the past, previously planned to to cover King's, King Philip's War on an episode, and then it had slipped off the top of my mind for whatever, as it so often does with so many things that we will be just on the verge of doing and then get distracted by some other topic or or realize we don't have the resources or whatever. Any number of derailments could befall yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Well... Uh, and and history that is related to Native American history and indigenous nations can be really complicated to research because so much of what is written was not written from an indigenous perspective and a lot of times totally misrepresents mm-hmm. the indigenous side of the story. King um, Philip. And there <laughs> Yeah. Like, 
Well, so that gets complicated, too, because a couple, several people, as I was reading, have made the point that, like, it was very normal um, for for Wampanoag people to, to have name changes at various points during their life. It seems like the colonists were trying to have it be a mark of respect by offering totally different names than a, they actually had, but were, like, great leaders from history. Right. So, like, but then, the, like, Philip was definitely not the name that <laughs> uh, that he was more often known by. Like, that just becomes this whole big thing um, of how how do you in- interpret all that. The fact that the, the, I, the whole idea that it was King Philip's war and that it ended when he died is just so, it's everywhere. And, and it like the fighting was still going on for almost two more years after that. And so I did not know uh, where that idea had started. Definitely nobody who was living through it at the time was calling it King Philip's War. Right. That came about after it was over and uh, people were writing books about their father's reminiscences of it. (laughs) So yeah, the fact that Benjamin Church's book is called entertaining history of King Philip's war. Like, I I haven't read that book, but that just sort of, the fact that entertaining was uh-huh. part of the title. I have for the something same that was jerk just, <laughs> Yeah, so incredibly deadly and destructive. It seems barbaric. Yeah, I found it troubling, and to put it mildly. Yeah, let's talk about how entertaining it is that all this suffering happened and <laughs> yeah. massacres and horrible yeah. treatment of people. Yeah, it's a uh, non-delightful. Yeah. So essentially somebody's collection of his dad's war stories became how people thought about the framing of this war for centuries afterward. Uh, one of the things that was really challenging about this episode was that because it was uh, a war that went on for as long as it did and ranged among multiple colonies um, and 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 territory that wasn't held by any particular colony at that point. Like, the, a lot went on. Um, and so there were all kinds of moments that we did not talk about uh, in terms of, like, a specific timeline of the thing, um, which is always challenging when there's something as big as an entire war. Yeah, well, it's, it is tricky because, as you said, most of the narratives we have of it are written from the white colonial perspective, mm-hmm. who, it comes up in the episode, are trying to fit indigenous culture into the models that they know and understand from Europe in terms of how a monarchy worked, in terms of, like, to them, this idea of all of these different tribes was probably very confusing, and they just wanted yeah. to lump them together under an indigenous man who they chose to call King Philip. Um, like, there are a lot of of pretty obvious check boxes of evidence of, like, they did not understand these people and weren't yeah. really trying to. And as a consequence, there's almost no way that the reality of this situation was captured in the writing that we have from the the colonist perspective. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people may imagine uh, that these colonies were kind of isolated from the indigenous nations that were around them, but really... All of these had become so interconnected over basically a generation. This was happening essentially a generation after the Mayflower arrived. But that everything had become so interconnected in terms of all the various indigenous nations and their existing networks and then the colonies becoming part of those networks 
um, that there are historians who interpret it not as a, a war between indigenous people and, and a, the colonies, but as a civil war among all of these people who were living in the same place and this like very interconnected but still somewhat separate uh, collection of societies. Um, you can, as I said at the end of the episode, there are so many books on this. You could just spend years reading all kinds of different books and interpretations on King Philip's War. It's one of the things that highlights to me how sometimes people imagine history is like a recitation of facts <laughs> uh, when really like there's interpretation and analysis of all those things that are happening and people have interpreted um, various aspects of the King of King Philip's War very differently from one another uh, in the modern era, not just going back to the 1600s and 1700s. Um, so if you're interested, so many books you could go read. So thanks again for joining us on this Friday. If you want to write to us, historypodcast at iheartradio.com. And we'll talk to you again soon. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.